Hey guys, good morning, good morning. Uh, on this Sunday morning, I hope you guys are doing amazing. I just got back from Myrtle Beach. I uh, was there with all of our kids, well, all but one. And uh, a bunch of grandkids on the beach, having fun, getting some sun in the heat, and uh, just having a good time. It's good to be back, uh, and good to be with you. And uh, we'll get right to this. Um, man, these, these messages are, are so much more heavy than I thought they were going to be. This topic of walk by faith uh, seems innocent and uh, light. But the fact of the matter is, there's no walking by faith like on the surface. That's not even walking by faith. If you're going to walk by faith, what we're learning, what I'm learning in all this is that you, you're going to, it's going to be intense and you're going to go deep and there's going to, there's going to be a challenge that is going to take us out of our comfort zones. And, uh, and the same is true again today with our passage today. Uh, so I want to get right into this because, um, there's just so much good stuff and I, and I hope you have your Bibles, uh, and we're going to look at some scriptures today and look at a passage and look at a, uh, a, a, a thought that comes right out of Jesus' lips that is going to challenge us to do this, walk by faith. But first, uh, a little summary of where we've been. We walk by faith and not by sight. Get that in your heart. James said, faith without deeds is dead. So without this faith that we're talking about, walking by faith, without it, there, there's, there's no faith if, if there's no deeds. If there's no deeds, there's your faith is dead. And um, so all along the way, we have to ask ourselves, where is the evidence of my faith? Where is the evidence of my faith that I claim to have in Jesus? Where is it? Uh, Galatians 2.20, Paul says, this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. That's how I'm going to live. I'm going to live by faith in Jesus. Colossians 3, faith close itself in Jesus. You're, if you are walking by faith, you should be looking more and more, sounding more and more, looking more and more, acting more and more like Jesus, clothed in Jesus. Galatians 5, without the Spirit, there is no walking by faith. If the Holy Spirit is not living in us, you cannot walk by faith. So important. And uh, 1 Corinthians 15, take a stand, let nothing move you when we walk by faith and we're trusting in Jesus and our mind is on him. There's nothing in this world that is going to move us. We can take our stand. Psalm 27, walking by faith means waiting on the Lord. That's what it means. When we're walking by faith, we're, we're going in God's timing. His timing is what matters in our life. And walking by faith is having the mind of Jesus. We talked about that last week. Philippians 2. Let the same mind that was in Jesus Christ also be in us. The mind of Christ. Well, today, walking by faith means this. Not my will, but yours be done. Walking by faith for our message today means I'm not doing things my way. I am doing things God's way. And if I'm not willing to do them God's way, then I cannot walk 
in the faith of Jesus. I have got to be willing to say, God, not my will, but yours be done in every area of my life. Like this is not a popular statement in the world. The world is not like crying out to do God's will, okay? Most people are wanting everything their way. In fact, we have a corrupt government that is doing everything that they can to make themselves richer, more protected and better, and they're basically leaving the citizens to fend for themselves out in the communities. And we see this in a lot of ways. They represent the heart of a godless world, a world that has gone astray, that has tried to push God out of everything. And people don't want to live this. They want to live my will be done, my way be done. And they will do whatever it takes to get it, won't they? We've seen this, we're seeing it. It's very evident that this world will do whatever it wants to get its way. When it comes to the Bible, we see a, a little different tune. In the Bible, what we see is scriptures that say things like, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. In fact, that's what Jesus said, right? You want to come follow me? You must deny yourself. That's not what the world is saying. The world is saying, deny yourself? Are you crazy? Are you kidding me? No, feed the beast, right? Feed yourself. Get all you can. Eat, drink, and be merry. Live it up on the planet. See, the world is living for itself, for the now and the temporary and the pleasures of this world because the world has no clue about eternity and what is to come. And they have traded in their eternal souls for a bowl of stew of this world. We see passages that say you must die if you want to live. We see scriptures that say, sell all you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. See, this is the way of the scriptures. And the world says, yeah, right, we're not doing that. We're not gonna deny ourselves. We're not gonna give it all away to the poor. We are not doing that at all. In fact, we don't even care about other people. That's what the world is saying. And 2,000 years ago, a guy came to this earth. He lived biblical truth. He lived biblical principles. And it is he that coined the phrase, not my will, but yours be done. And probably the most important place that we see these words is in the garden. In the Garden of Eden, at the end of Jesus' ministry, when he knows that his time is short, Jesus uses this phrase, not my will, but yours be done. He did say similar things throughout his ministry, like in Matthew 6, Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done. We all know that familiar phrase. In John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In John 12, around the triumphal entry, remember Jesus is coming into Jerusalem that final week and he is talking to his disciples, he's predicting his death and he says these words, my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, 
It is for this very reason that I came to this hour. Jesus is saying, not my will, but yours be done. And in Psalm 40, verse 8, the scripture says, I delight to do your will. Right? Here in our text, in, uh, in, in our passage in Matthew uh, chapter 26, in Mark 14, and Luke 22, that's our text. It's the end of Jesus' ministry, so go to one of the end of the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And uh, his ministry and his time on earth is now come to an end. His time is short. He knows that his hour has come. Jesus said through his ministry, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And now at the end of his ministry, he says, the hour has come. They leave the upper room where they just had the Last Supper, where Jesus just washed the disciples' feet, where Jesus just said, one of you will betray me and one of you will deny me. And now they're headed toward the garden, right? They're going to the garden, Jesus and his 11, because Judas has gone out to betray him. So Jesus has the 11 disciples with him and they are walking down the path toward the garden of Gethsemane. 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 Yeah, that one. Garden of Gethsemane. He knows that it's about to get ugly. Jesus knows that things are going to speed up very quickly. He will be arrested. He will uh, suffer. He will appear to several different uh, rulers and have to give an account. And uh, a cross awaits him. Jesus knows that that's what's about to happen. And so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we get kind of the harmony of the gospel. Now, I don't know if you can see this. I hope you can, and I hope you can make it out. But if I sent you a harmony of the gospel uh, that has it lined up like this, this event, uh, all of the event accounts on one page, you're gonna, you're gonna want that. If you can go get that, get that. If not, just be ready to flip in your Bibles to a few passages. So Matthew uh, gives the, the account, Mark gives the account, and Luke gives us an account. Each of them a little different, kind of like eyewitnesses to an event. Everybody would say a few different things about the event, but all of them brought together gives us a better picture of the event and why the harmony of the Gospels is so important for us. And so... Uh, Matthew, I'll read Matthews and then we'll just touch on Mark and Luke's, okay? Um, then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter, James, and John, or Peter and the two sons, Zebedee and uh, two sons of Zebedee, which is James and John. And he began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went beyond them. So he went a little further. He fell on his face <clears throat> and he prayed saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as thou will. And then we read about Jesus coming back to the disciples and he finds them sleeping. And he said to Peter, and uh, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? 
And then he says, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again a second time and he prayed saying, my father, if this <clears throat> cannot pass away unless I drink it, thy will be done. In Mark, Luke, similar, similar passages to uh, Jesus. But we're going to kind of take a try to try to blend these all together today as we talk about this passage right here uh, in each of the, of the Gospels where Jesus says, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. We, you know, when we consider what Jesus has kind of gone through this week, the triumphal entry, and now a week of preaching and teaching and healing, probably went without a whole lot of sleep this week. It's in Jerusalem. There's a big festival. There's a lot going on. You know, we go to our hotels like we just spent uh, the, the few days in a, in a really nice hotel. There's insulation in the walls. You know, you can kind of hear other people above you and below you, but not, not much. You turn the fans on and, and it takes away any kind of noise. But could you imagine living then? <clears throat> You, the walls were concrete, and yeah, but the houses were close to each other. You could hear people next door yelling and shouting and people in the streets and people all over the place. You just probably heard stuff. It wasn't insulated like you and I have today. And so sleeping was not something you did easily. It's difficult to do with all the noise around. And, and it's hot. There's no air conditioning. And in a lot of cases, the floor is hard because it's dirt or it's concrete or maybe a little bit of padding somewhere, but no Sealy Postropedics, you know, no, no nice cushy uh, mattresses that we're all accustomed to and we can't live without our waterbeds and, and you know, our nice soft uh, uh, toppers, you know, and, and, and man, we're so stinking spoiled, it's not funny, but Jesus is not living in our day. He's living in a day where things were tough. They were hard. You, you had to be a tough person to live. If you didn't, you were going to die. And so, <clears throat> so that week was difficult. It was full of like pressure and intensity. Jesus knows that it's kind of going to climax at a cross. And this is the last night and they go to the upper room and, and now they go to the garden and, and Jesus now is going to spend these last moments with them before he knows all crud is about to break loose and it's going to break loose. And so the question is, how is it that Jesus can do this? How can he do that? How can he do that? Say, not my will, but yours be done. Like in this very moment, all the pressure is coming on him. And Jesus is able to stand and say, not my will, but yours be done. How? How can he do it? I think the passage helps us understand how Jesus is able to do this. And I can say it was not easy. 
Not everything in Jesus was on board with going through with this. Not all of Jesus was like in agreement. But Jesus is able to fight through all the, the intensity and all of the tiredness and maybe some of the fatigue and maybe going without eating much food. And Jesus is able to say, not my will, not what I want, but what you want. So let's look at how Jesus was able to do this. He was determined to complete the Father's work. And he was willing to go to the bitter end. So right from the get-go, as we think about this passage, and we think about the life of Jesus, when he says these words, there is a determination on Jesus's, in Jesus' heart and his will that even though the flesh may fail me, even though I am weak, even though I want to be released, he is determined to complete his father's work. He is determined. He is willing to go to the bitter end, whatever that might mean, holding on to his father's plan. That's incredible. That's intense. And so, I'm sorry. The first thing, the first thing that we see is this. I'm sorry, I got my slides reversed. The first thing that we see is this. Jesus was on a mission, okay? Jesus was on a mission, and he knows that he's on a mission. And he's going to do everything he can to stay on mission, to stay on point, to stay on purpose, to stay focused on his goal. And he knows, he knows right off at the bat that things are going to come against him, just like you and I know. Things are going to come against us. And he was determined, though, even though all kinds of havoc was going to come his way, he had a mission and he wasn't going to leave the mission. This was the, his purpose for coming to this earth. And he was very clear about his purpose. And he was very deliberate in keeping to his purpose. His mission was to do his father's work. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came, Jesus came, and he knew it to be a sacrifice and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was born to die for our sins. And he knew it. He knew it. He had his mission in mind. He had his purpose set. And he was not going to allow anything, no matter how it made him feel, no matter how it sucked his emotions and his feelings and his humanness, his flesh in, he was not going to give in to it. How can you and I say, not my will, but yours be done? How is it that we, you and I, can take on this mission of Jesus? <clears throat> well, here's how. The only way we're going to pull this off is by letting our purpose in how we live our life and what we do and what we're about be God's will. When, when God's will is your purpose for living, then you will have a little more power and strength and wherewithal to be able to say, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was on mission. So we can learn from that. When you're on mission, 
When you have a purpose and your purpose is wrapped up in the will of God, then that will give you the courage and the strength in the face of adversity to be able to say, not my will, but yours be done. Secondly, secondly, I gotta go up one. Secondly, um, the text says, he and his disciples went into the garden, out to the garden, and he left his, some of his disciples and he took Peter, James, and John, and they went further. And so Jesus, what we see is Jesus is surrounded to the very end by his team. This support system that he handpicked, brought along, taught. They watched him do miracles. He sent them out to do, preach and teach. And then they came back together and they talked about their experience. And Jesus mentored these men to become his team. He had a team. It's so important for you and for me as we live on this earth that we have a spiritual team. This is why we can't worship God on our couches like forever. We've got to get off our couch. We got to get back in the fellowship of believers where we have other Christians around us that we can have a team with and share life with and do things together with and get to know people and let iron sharpen iron as we're together with other believers. It's so important. You, we cannot follow Jesus and stay in our living rooms. We've got to get out. But Jesus had this team, 12 guys. Well, at this point, 12 guys minus one. Judas has gone out to betray Jesus. And these, these 11 guys would be his support system, right? Jesus picked them. There was great diversity among them. They were from all over the place. They had different career choices and jobs. And Jesus, his team, they're in the garden. He comes back and they're asleep. Like they're asleep. Many people, like, they're sleeping, right? Many people would, would give them all kinds of grief for have fallen asleep, right? And most commentators give them grief. Jesus is out there praying. He comes back, and they're sleeping on the rocks. And Jesus is like, couldn't you guys stay awake for one hour? And, and, and a lot of people would give these guys grief for this. But I, I believe what it speaks to is the week that they just had. I think it, it, it speaks to the exhaustion of the week. Right? That they just kind of endured with Jesus. They slept, you know, they all were together throughout the week. They probably didn't eat a lot. They probably didn't sleep a lot. There was a lot of commotion, a lot of noise, a lot of healing, a lot of teaching, a lot of like, like, I mean, you know, if you've ever gone to a workshop, uh, uh, like one that was like all day and in the evening and you sleep and you come back the next day, it's like college. It's like, I mean, intense, a lot of information, a lot of things happening. And besides that, they're in the garden and it's nighttime, it's dark, and they're in this peaceful garden place. And these big, tough guys are sleeping. Jesus is about to be arrested, mocked, spit on, 
flogged. He's going to appear to different rulers. He's going to carry his cross to Golgotha. He's going to be nailed to his cross. He's going to endure the cross for six long hours. And Jesus is still standing. But these big tough fishermen guys, they're asleep. And, and while it speaks to the exhaustion of the week, that these tough dudes are sleeping, and it must have been pretty intense for them to be in that position where they couldn't even stay alert or stay awake. What we see is Jesus, who went through the very same things with much more intensity, is still standing. Remarkable strength in Jesus. An incredible will in Jesus. I mean, that's what we see, this incredible power of Jesus, determined to carry out the mission and the purpose and to bring along with him this team of guys. He has a team. He knows that they're struggling. He knows that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He knows this about you. He knows this about me. He knows, he says to them, temptation is lurking. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. He says, I need you to please stay alert and be watchful with me. But bless their hearts. And here is his team. For better or for worse, this is his support team, which speaks to all of us that there are no perfect teams. There are none. You bring a group of people together and there is no perfection in totality. There are broken people all coming together, bringing their baggage and their messes with them. Together, stronger, but together still not perfect. And that's true about your family, my family, the church, your workplace, a ball team. And a ball team may achieve perfection that's happened throughout the seasons where teams have gone undefeated and you could say they were perfect in their season. But, but as a group of people, they are not perfect people and everyone, we all know this. There are no perfect teams. But Jesus had a team. How, how was Jesus able to say, not my will, but yours be done? Well, one of the key factors is that he didn't do it alone. He had a team of people walking with him that he was doing life together with. Matthew records that he began to grieve. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death, Jesus said. Mark adds, he began to be very distressed and troubled. If you got your Bibles open in Mark's account, <clears throat> Jesus says, if possible, listen to this. Jesus says in Mark's account, if possible, let me go back to it. If possible, let, right here, if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. I mean, don't miss that. Jesus is saying, Father, if there's any way, let this kind of go on by. I, I really don't want to do this. This is not comfortable for Jesus. And so what we see here, what we see here is not only was this not comfortable for Jesus, but how do I live? How do you and I live? Not my will, but yours be done when everything 
around us seems to be falling apart or it's about to blow up, here's how. Here's what Jesus did. He faced his fears. He didn't run from them when he could have. He didn't ask to be rescued when he could have. He didn't escape and hide from his issues and what he had to go through. Jesus faced his fears head on. Remember, remember this. He let go last week. He let go of equality with his father. He didn't consider it something to hang on to or regress. He emptied himself. He became nothing. He became very much like us, a human being, subject to everything that you and I feel. Our emotions, our feelings, our hurts, our pains, our agonies, all of those things Jesus is feeling. His honesty is evident. Father, get me out of here. Please, God, get me out of here. Do I really have to go through this? His feelings and his emotions are very real, and they're right there on display for all of us to see. And if he would have given in to his feelings and his emotions, he could have escaped. He could have got out of this. Check this out. In just a few moments, the guards are going to come marching into the garden, and they're going to arrest Jesus. Peter is about to chop off the ear of Melchus, one of the high, the high priest's ear, uh, servant. And Jesus is going to say, put your sword away. And then Jesus is going to say these words. Oh, I'm sorry. Jesus is going to say these words, my bad. Jesus is going to say these words in Matthew 26, verse 53. He's going to say this. Check this out. Do not think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. So in a few minutes from this moment, when he is full of grief, being pulled apart, saying, Father, please let the hour pass. Jesus could have been rescued. At any moment, he could have said, I'm not doing this. Now, think about this. It's interesting to note when Jesus said that, this is kind of skipping forward when the guards come, Jesus uses the term legion, legion. It's a Roman military term. And so at that moment, when the Roman soldiers are there to arrest Jesus, they understand what Jesus is saying. He, they understand his lingo. And he says, hey guys, if I want, I can ask my father and he will summon me 12 legions to come to my rescue and get me out of here. One legion, one legion is about 6,000 soldiers, men, human beings. One legion, 6,000 soldiers. One legion, it's a lot. One legion is a lot, 6,000. A cohort is what came to arrest Jesus. That's about 420 so can you imagine that they're in this garden 420 soldiers come marching into the garden to arrest jesus who has never really hurt anybody the, the worst thing jesus did was was talk badly about the pharisees and the sadducees and he overturned tables in the temple but outside of that jesus hurt nobody he hurt nobody he healed a lot of people he loved on a lot of people 
But 420 soldiers are going to come to arrest him. A legion is 6,000 soldiers. And Jesus says, I can call on 12 legions, which is approximately 72,000 angels that could come right now and level this place. But I'm not going to. Jesus is like, I could do that and get out of here, but I am not going to do that because Jesus was not afraid to face his fears. And he met them head on. How are we going to say, not my will, but yours be done? We're going to follow Jesus. And even though things may bring fear to us or scare us or uncertainty to it, we are going to march right through them. We are going to march right through them. And the last thing that I see in this of how we're going to be able to say, not my will, but yours be done, is this. Jesus covered himself in prayer. It's why they came to the garden in the first place, to squeeze out whatever time was left before his arrest in prayer. They arrived at the garden. Jesus says to the eight disciples, you guys sit here. I'm going to take these three and go over there a little further. He says to them, stay here and keep watch. Luke says, Jesus said, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus goes a little further. Luke says, a stone's throw away, which is not that far, depending on who's throwing the stone, but it's, it's just a little further away. And he's in anguish and he's troubled and his soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Think about that, being so grieved that you feel like death is at your door. That's a lot of intensity. That's a lot of stress. There is an evil storm raging and it's coming after Jesus and he knows it. And everything in his flesh wants the hour to go away, but everything in his spirit is leading him directly into the storm. We see the battle. You look at the text and you can see the battle. You can see Jesus's emotional stress. And we can see that he has a desire in the flesh to get the heck out of here. He goes to the ground and he prays. Jesus goes to the ground and he prays. He goes a little further and he falls. Matthew says with his face to the ground, Mark says he fell to the ground. Luke says he knelt down and prayed. It is safe to say in his greatest time of need, when Jesus is in the most anguish we have ever seen him in, Jesus goes low. He goes down to pray. He goes down to pray. We cannot miss this. This is huge. You want to be able to say, not my will, but yours be done? Then we got to learn right now what Jesus did in his greatest time of need, prayer. He turns to his father in prayer. He saturates himself in prayer. All throughout his ministry, Jesus went away and he prayed. And now in his toughest challenge ever, he prays. And so in your time of need, in my time of need, when it all seems to be falling apart 
and you are wondering how you should use your last moments or how am I going to use these final moments in this final stage of somebody else's life or whatever's about to happen or this catastrophe, how should I use my final moments? Jesus shows us how you should use your time when you are at your end of the rope, right? At your final hour. Jesus demonstrates what exactly you should do when everything around you is falling apart. And we should not miss this. Intense moments demand intense prayer. Demand uh, intense moments demand intense prayer. Luke adds this in, in Luke's section, verse 43. Luke says, an angel from heaven appears to Jesus and strengthens Jesus. I, I wonder what would happen if that angel doesn't appear to Jesus to give him that strength that he needs. I'm not sure he's going to make it to the cross. I don't think he's going to get to the cross. If this doesn't happen, these other guys are already exhausted. They've fallen asleep. Jesus has gone through the same thing they have. And now the passage goes on to say, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Many believe that it actually was blood pouring through his pores in the intensity and the grieving and his heart breaking as he was about to go to the cross. Jesus is dying right there in prayer. Blood being shed from his body as he is intensely praying. Jesus, in, the, in his greatest moment of need, he covers himself with prayer. He covers himself with prayer. And his heart was all about his father's will. Not personal feelings, not personal emotions, not personal comfort. He did not allow those things to interrupt his purpose and his mission. So, how was a Jesus able to live this out? How is he able to live this, not my will, but yours be done out? How are you going to live this out? How am I going to live this out? Well, I think the text shows us these four things. Get on mission. Live your life on mission with God. It will pull you through any crisis. It'll pull you through any emotional distress that you will ever feel. Having a purpose in this world that is wrapped up in Jesus is going to give you all the strength you need to move forward when everything else seems to be coming apart. I'm not talking about a mission about something of this planet that means absolutely nothing and is going to perish when the world ends. I'm talking about a mission that is eternal and forever that will pull you from this place to another. Live on mission. Number two, 
Have a support team. You have got to have godly men and godly women around you to help you, that you can help, that they can help you, that you can share life with, you can pray together with. They will share your needs. You can share their needs and you do life together. You have got to have a team, a spiritual team of people. Number three, do what Jesus did. Face your fears head on. Face them head on. And number four, by covering yourself in prayer. That is how you are going to live. Not my will, but your will be done. Walking by faith means that the things of God are our priority. His truth, his way, his missions have become my life. My life is so wrapped up in God that his will is my will. And my will means very little. So much that I can truly say with my entire being, not my will, but yours be done. See, that's where we have to get. We have to get to the point where we are saying, not my will, but your will be done. And if we're going to walk by faith, we have got to be able to say this 100% certain that we mean it and that we're going to follow it and we're going to do it no matter where he leads me, I will follow. So how, how are we going to do this? What's it going to take to live? What's it going to take to live? Not my will, but yours be done. I think it's going to take at least these two things. Number one, it's going to take God's people, God's people serving the king, serving God's kingdom on this earth through the church and through our community on point, on purpose, on mission, serving God with everything in us, giving more of our effort to the things of God than we do to the things of the world. How are we going to live this? By serving the king. Secondly, how are we going to live this? By crying out to God. Every one of us crying out to God for his will to become greater in us than our will. God, not my will, but yours be done. God, not my will, but yours be done. And we cry out to God, God, help me to know your will and help me to live your will. And when God's people will do those two things, serve God, with everything in them, and cry out to God with everything in them, then we will begin to walk by faith and we will be able to live. We'll be able to really live every day. Not my will, but God's will. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for this, this intense moment in the garden with Jesus and all that he was going through. We just talked about it. We're sitting in our chairs, we're sitting on our couches, and we're comfortably talking about the most important thing that Jesus came to this earth to do, and that is to die for us. And in this very intense moment in the garden, where Jesus is sweating like drops of blood, and he's in anguish, and he's in pain, and he wishes this could go away, but it can, and he's willing to face it head on. God, oh Lord, help us. Help us to see the intensity of what Jesus did for us. And Father, help us to be a little more intense in serving you. God, speak to our hearts and move us. Move us closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
You guys have an amazing week. God bless you and go live it. Not my will, but yours.